Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, church, let's have a little fun in this place this morning. Put your hands together for this today. Sing it if you know it. time for your campus band. These guys take care of business every Sunday. Grateful for you guys. Thank you so much. Please be seated. I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, man, they rocked it. Uh, they take care of business every single week, and I'm glad you're here for week two of our series, Work as Worship, in which we're talking about taking care of business, or rather, how you do your business, whatever your work is, whether you work in an office or you teach in a classroom or you're a stay-at-home parent or you're out in the corporate sector, we're talking about finding faith on your nine-to-five job because your work matters to God, uh, especially if you're a Christian. It's so much more than just a paycheck because the excellence and integrity with which you perform your work is really a reflection of God's character, and God's character is excellent. Amen? I need a bigger amen. Amen. All right. I am glad last week's message inspired so many of you. I received a bunch of emails and tweets this week from people on their way to work. In fact, my favorite was from a woman named Anna who uh, put this picture on Instagram, one of our campuses. She said, excited to go to work this Monday morning and get the chance to hashtag work as worship, uh, hashtag Colossians 3, Liquid Church, TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. And then Anna gives a thumbs up to you, Anna. That is awesome. I hope you can say that about your work, that it's not just a dreary job. 
Because what we're learning is that work that's done by followers of Christ in the marketplace has divine significance. As uh, Anna references here in Colossians 3, this is kind of our theme verse from the book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who, church? The Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, it doesn't matter what company you work for or where you uh, punch a time clock. It doesn't matter who signs your paycheck. From God's perspective, they ain't the boss of you, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are heaven's employee. You are working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's Christ you're serving on the job. And that's a new thought for many people because our world tends to separate the two into very different spheres. Like there's my, my worship life. That's the spiritual side of me usually reserved for Sundays. That's what we're doing now. And then there's my work, the secular side of me. That's what I do Monday through Friday, you know, whatever I do for a living. That's my work. And they're two different things. But the Bible doesn't make any distinctions. God doesn't want us to just like, you know, practice your faith on Sunday and then basically blow off the rest of the week and say, well, you know, that's just business. Jesus is Lord of all. All seven days are work and our worship. And so the goal of this series is really to bridge the two and help you see your work as worship, as a spiritual act actually devoted to Christ, whether you're a plumber and you work with your hands or you work with Excel spreadsheets in some corporate office, whether you travel around on sales calls during the week or you're a waitress who fills orders, what you do out here has as much spiritual significance as what happens between church walls on any given Sunday. That's the big idea. And I realize that's a shift for many of us because when we think of people like whose work is really spiritual, they have a very spiritual job, most of us have in our heads a pyramid that looks like this, right? Missionaries are at the top of the pyramid, right? Like God called them they, to sell their house and now they move to Africa and they're like translating the Bible. That's like a really spiritual job. Uh, you know, then there's pastors, you know, professional Christians, people like, you know, Pastor Richard or Pastor Kyler or Pastor Peter, uh, Pastor Mike. Maybe not so much, Mike, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, they teach people the Bible or, or Grace or Debbie or Christine. They're, they're professional ministers. And then there's the rest of us, right? That's how we think. Like, I'm a barista, okay? Or I'm a stockbroker. Or I process claims. That's not very spiritual. I want to take this pyramid and turn it on its head because I believe it's actually the other way around. Billy Graham said the next great revival is going to come through the marketplace, through the ordinary people that God sends out to represent him in everyday life, in boardrooms and banks, in coffee shops and stores, because we live in an increasingly globalized world. And God has most likely put you in contact with somebody who will never darken the doors of a church. Some of you will get on a plane this week and you're going to sit next to a business person who has no idea of God's love for him or her. You, you're, you'll be in a meeting or you'll go out to lunch with a coworker who's hurting and they open up to you and they're looking for answers. They need comfort. They need Christ. Or you'll teach a child or you'll create this home environment where the seeds of faith are planted and actually take root in the next generation. Or you'll do business and close a sale with somebody and you'll do it with such integrity that they'll think, wow, that was different. <laughs> See, regardless of your actual job description, work as worship is a calling for every Christian. It's your voca, your vocation. What God wired you uniquely to do, and one of the reasons he put you on the planet. You have special God-given skills, and you have a role to play. 
So no matter what you do, never forget you're working for the Lord. And when you work with excellence and integrity, you reflect Christ to the kingdoms of this world. Through your everyday job, you bring the priorities of heaven in contact with the kingdoms of earth. Well, today, I want to share a message about the prophet. What, what is the, the, the benefit of this? Because um, Colleen and I are actually, we enjoy watching a reality show by that name. It's called The Prophet. It's typically after Shark Tank uh, on CNBC. And it focuses on this entrepreneur. His name is Marcus Lemonis. And basically, he comes in and he fixes struggling small businesses. He, he invests his money, and then he turns the business around. So he's like, get it? He's like a prophet, like P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Like he knows what, he, he's heard from God. He knows how to fix your business. He's going to help you turn a profit with an F. You get that? Okay. Uh, and Kyle and I, we find this fascinating because Kyle's in small business, how he works with business owners, because regardless of what the business is, like this guy's worked with hair salons, used car dealerships, you know, uh, retail stores, clothing companies, it doesn't matter how bad they're struggling. His fix is always focused on what Lamonis calls the three P's, people, process, and the product. If there's a problem, it's always one of these three things, and typically it's these last two that are easiest to fix, Right? Because he's like, this product needs rebranding or this process like needs streamlining and we got to make it more cost efficient. But it's the first one, people, who cause all the problems, right? And that's, the re- that's why it's a reality show because the people he tries to help create all this drama because typically they're very resistant to change or they're protective of their, of their position or their power or he discovers that they're, you know, they're skimming money or they're stealing profits or they're mistreating employees or they're shortchanging customers. And the drama happens when Lamotus calls people out on their poor work ethic or their lazy business practices or downright rudeness on the job. Watch this. And then there was Andrew Rosenthal, the owner of LA Dog Works, a full service grooming, boarding, and training facility. I thought the staff was fantastic and I loved the business and I thought it would be a great investment, but there was one big problem. Who's the top dog? Who's the alpha male? me. Oh my gosh, I hate him. I spent six very long days with Andrew Rosenthal, and I thought there was ways to improve his brand, but there were rants. Email me the schedule. And abuse. Who the do you think you are staring me down? And more rants. That's, That's why not fair. What don't are you talking about? Go there. You don't know how to treat people. What people? The staff? Us people. <laughs> And this was one that I simply just had to walk away from. You talk about a hostile work environment, right? I mean, it's mind-boggling to me to see how some people think the title boss makes them God, you know, or Lord over others, or how petty and mean-spirited employees can be. I don't think Lamonis is a believer, but he is an ethical businessman who truly believes that people are greater than prophets. That was one of the core biblical principles we learned last week. And today, I want to expand this idea Because people and prophets don't have to be opposed when you're taking care of business. As hard as it may be to imagine this, it is actually possible for a believer to work in a tough industry or a cutthroat environment, make a fair wage, and grow spiritually closer to God in the process. It's really possible. And kind of our anchor uh, text today comes from Mark 8, where Jesus Christ asks this question of his followers. He says, For what does it, what's the word here? Profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. In other words, you can be successful. You can, you know, make all kinds of money. You can run the best business in the history of the world and yet lose your soul if you don't honor God 
in the process. What, what is it worth? What does it profit a person? If you're materially successful, but you compromise your relationship with Christ and people. Today, I want to talk about profit and ethics in the workplace and how ethical business is good for both the bottom line and for the glory of God. Now, to teach us about the prophet, I want to turn to an Old Testament prophet whose name is Micah. So you can take a Bible and open there in the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 6, we're going to camp out in. And Micah was literally God's prophet. That's P-R-O-P-H-E-T. But one of Micah's major themes was ethics, specifically business ethics. See, whenever Israel's society was going downhill or falling apart, one of the symptoms was that God's people stopped following basic ethical business principles. And you see this described in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 6. Look what Micah writes. He says, listen, the Lord's calling to the city. And here's what God says. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house. So he's kind of calling them out. And the short ephah, what's that? Which is a curse. The short ephah was simply a measuring cup. Now, Israel, obviously, their main industry was agriculture, you know, uh, farming, grain, wheat. And what they did is business owners would have literally like a measuring cup and you'd give him money and then he scoops up the cup and he gives you grain. Some guys would shortchange it. They'd make a short cup so that when they would scoop it up, you'd pay, but they're only giving you about 85, 90%. And so, in other words, the business people were getting rich through ill-gotten treasures, deceptive business practices. Look what he writes in verse 11. Shall I acquit someone with what? Dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights. And this is kind of interesting to see. What is God's main beef with his people? A lack of ethics because they were taking care of business in a dishonest way. Again, Israel's primary, um, you know, industry was, you know, uh, selling grains and wheats and meat. And we're like, well, we don't really relate to that. But we have similar practices today, uh, don't we? I remember my first job. My first job, actually, when I was old enough to work, my first job was at a grocery store called Food Town in Cedar Grove. I was a bag boy, okay? I got a job, a summer job, um, you know, bagging groceries up and folding newspapers, sweeping floors. And I got to know this guy in the deli department whose name was Bruce. He was like the butcher, Bruce the butcher. And uh, how do I put this nicely? Bruce was a burnout, okay? He wore a Grateful Dead concert t-shirt underneath his apron. And he always came back from lunch like sort of glassy-eyed, what's up, dude? I think he was smoking pot, uh, you know, during break. But here's what Bruce would do. If he liked you, when he sliced your meat for deli sandwiches, he would undercharge you. But if he didn't like the looks of you, or you didn't like the Grateful Dead, he would overcharge you. So all the bag boys, we loved it because we would go get deli sandwiches for lunch, and he's like, all right, dude, what do you want? We're like, it was a sloppy joe, and he'd be like, you know, put like a half pound of ham, and turkey, and he's like, uh, 87 cents, <laughs> you know? He, right? He had these dishonest scales where he would shortchange the store's owner to win friends. But if, he, if Bruce did not like you, he would actually put the meat on and then keep his thumb on the scale. And I remember this one time, this big kind of like muscle head guy with a giant sweatshirt on, you know, walks up and he's like, hey, what's up, Goldilocks? Because he had like curly blonde hair. What's up, Goldilocks? I'll take a, a pound of provolone. And Bruce is like, and he puts it on his like $17.57, you know, <laughs> totally gouged the guy who'd do this for coleslaw and then he would, you know, smoke pot and break. It's nice growing up in a small town, isn't it? That's a good times. Now, to me... You may be like, well, that's, yeah, that's a real-life example of dishonest scales or unethical behavior when you're taking care of business. 
But maybe you're like, well, that's a little bit minor. Well, how about a more recent one? Anybody remember Bernie Madoff? The New York investor who operated a Ponzi scheme that cheated investors out of $65 billion. That still today is the largest financial fraud in U.S. history right here. Much of it retirement monies from senior citizens. And I remember when this happened, I was like, the guy's name was Bernie Madoff. How did we not see this coming, you know? Like, did he have to work for the firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and How? I mean, how do we not see this, right? This is what the prophet Micah is calling out. Dishonest scales, dishonest profit, ill-gotten treasures, false weights in verse 11. In verse 12, he actually says this. He says, you rich people, your rich people are violent. There's the suggestion of organized crime here, where the rich did whatever it takes to intimidate their competition. Now, some of you in business, you understand this, right? This is the attitude that says, we're going to cut the legs out from anyone or anything who stands in our way of coming in first, of maximizing our profits, right? Whether it's a competitor we take out or a whistleblower we try to silence. Here is the sad truth, guys. There are a lot of good Christian people who come to church on Sunday but are ruthless in their business come Monday morning. I want you to remember this. The Israelites are considered God's chosen people. They have special blessing. And yet Micah calls them out because they're ruthless in the way they took care of their business. So the prophet is calling out this disconnect between the faith of God's people, your God's people, and the work of God's people. One doesn't reflect the other, which still happens in today's Christian circles. See, it's not just investors and CEOs. I'm talking about rank-and-file workers who cheat on, the, you know, on their time cards, independent consultants and contractors who kind of pad expenses, or even homemakers. You guys face ethical decisions every day, and it's the, the choice. Do I do simply what's easiest, what's profitable, or what's true and fair and just in God's eyes? And Micah concludes with this. He says, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. He's talking about false advertising, <laughs> broken promises. Those of you who work in marketing, don't raise your hand. Uh, you know this. There's what's advertised, and then there's reality, right? The whopper on the left is what's in the ad. The whopper on the right is what's in the box, okay? It's amazing, right? And you, I mean, aren't you glad this Bible's not relevant today? Of course it is. This happens all the time to ordinary folks like you and me and Anne. Let me introduce you to Anne. Anne is a corporate accountant. She works for a big company in the private sector, and she's a very sharp cookie, all right? But she was confronted with a very hard decision at her work. Would she compromise her ethics and do what her boss expected so that her company would profit? Or would she honor God by holding fast to her faith convictions? I am the head of tax for a private corporation and have been head of tax in several previous jobs. Always wanted to be a light in the world wherever God called me, but it is a dark world. There are a lot of lost people in, in business and in accounting. In my position, there are times when I'm faced with a hard decision. Do I do what's right or I do what's expected or the pressures, the powers that be, if it's the CFO or whoever it is, my boss at that company wants me to do something to make um, our results look better. I've been put in that position before. And you have to ask yourself as a Christian, 
what is my position? And my position is always the truth is right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live the truth and live with those consequences. Part of that is because of an experience I'd had at a previous company where I uncovered an error um, and wanted it to be included in the current year. When asked about it, I crumbled and said, listen, I'm so sorry, it is a prior year adjustment and we worked together to get it right. I felt horrible. I mean, that is not the way that I want to work. With that background and the, the way that I felt, the guilt that I felt from that situation of not presenting it correctly from the beginning, I knew I would never do that again. Um, that's what I want to be remembered for, is honesty and just integrity. So then when a similar situation came up at the, at the next job, I had to stand up to my boss in a situation where um, they didn't want to present the numbers exactly how they should be presented. And I said, if you do that, I will not sign off on it. If we pushed it back, um, it would be, depending on the income in that period, it could make your margins and the numbers you report to the public look a lot worse. This magnitude of this adjustment we're talking about is millions of dollars. It was a quick answer for me. I didn't have to walk away from the situation and think about what's the impact on my career, what's the impact in my reputation, if I make the right decision and, and do this the right way. I had grown in my career and knew that it wasn't worth it. If I was gonna get fired over it, it wasn't worth it. So I stood my ground and I think actually uh, my supervisor and the head of finance at that company was pretty shocked that I stood my ground and said, I'm not gonna sign off on that if that's what y'all are gonna choose to do. So after I, I made my stand and my supervisors decided they would make the adjustment in the, in the correct period, they act, I actually gained their respect. I think they were surprised that I was strong enough to take a stance and say I won't sign off on it but there were no negative repercussions for that. They knew that I was going to do the right thing, and my view is that's what your CFO hires you to do, is the right thing. Being praised for it wasn't what I was looking for. It was, this is the right thing to do, and know that you're gonna get the truth from me. It's not about praise. It's about doing the job I was hired to do, doing the job that God put me here to do is what I feel like, that's where I am, where God wants me to be, and you are making a difference. To me, Anne is a beautiful example of what it means to honor God in your work, and she did it at great risk of losing her job. She actually refused to compromise her integrity, and she made this hard decision to honor Christ, and you and I are faced with the same kind of choices at the workplace every day. See, if you're new to Christianity, here's the deal. In one sense, the Christian life is very simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. Because if you commit in your head and your heart that I'm going to serve one master, the Lord Jesus Christ, above anything or anyone else, your decisions become very simple. But if your heart is divided, if profit or praise is your driving ambition, then you face all sorts of options. See, I have found that pe most people are motivated by one of three things. These are my three Ps. They're either motivated by a profit, making you know, money, just maximizing as much money as possible, or a second one that's close that drives a lot of people is praise. 
I find that people earning approval of their boss saying, awesome, you're killing it, man. He's a home run hitter. He's an all-star. Or accolades from your peers. You did such an amazing job. Or earning applause from people who are in your space or your industry. Praise is often just as powerful a driving motive as profit. And the third one is promotion. People wanting, driven by, need to advance their career, to climb up the ladder, driven by the desire for, you know, more power, more influence, the corner office, I covet that, I can't wait till I get there, right? And then I'll really have arrived. And Anne really faced the choice, right? She said, am I going to worship profit, praise, or promotion, okay? Am I willing to skew the numbers so that my company is able to cook the books and maximize profit? Or am I driven by praise from my boss? I'm just going to do what he expects and give no pushback whatsoever, because I'm working for a promotion. I don't want to derail my career. But she asked a bigger question. She said, no, 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 wait. Who am I working for? Am I working for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if that's my sole ambition in life, the decision is very simple. Did you hear her say that? She said it was a quick decision. It wasn't an easy decision. It was very hard, but quite simple. She said, I'm not going to do anything that would compromise my integrity or my faith in Jesus Christ. And see, what you and I see behind Anne's story and every ethical decision that you and I face as believers is what the Bible calls idolatry. <laughs> idolatry is when anything matters to you more than the glory of God. Whether that is success or money or the praise of others, your life will be driven by what you worship. See, some of you are like, well, I'm not a religious person. I don't really worship. Oh, everybody worships. Everybody serves somebody, okay? But if it's one of the three Ps, profit, praise, or promotion, you'll eventually make decisions to pursue those goals instead of honoring God. And the problem is, when profit is your American idol, the ultimate thing, you will inevitably be tempted to cut corners at some point, fudge numbers, or compromise your integrity in sales. You'll be tempted to treat people as commodities, trample over coworkers, or cut the legs out from your competition. And what's driving that is idolatry. See, that's the root source. It's when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, and it becomes an idol. So understand what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with, with making a profit. There's nothing wrong with pleasing your boss or trying to advance in your career, unless that becomes your driving motive in life. And that's what Mike is calling out. The prophet is like, I'm calling you out on your idolatry. You're turning a good thing into a God thing, and that's sin. 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine actually said, you know, things like dishonesty or stealing or extortion, all of those are simply, he called them smoke trails from a fire that you could trace back down to the altar of idolatry, what you really worship in your heart. You see, in, in one sense, every ethical breach in our world reflects something gone wrong inside the heart. <laughs> it's a corrupt motivation. But if your worship actually runs deeper, if your primary purpose in life is pleasing God, like Anne, you're just going to make decisions that honor Christ at work. And it may cost you. It cost you. It may disappoint other people. But what would you rather have? The praise of men or the praise of God? See, it all comes down to who or what you worship. So let me ask you this question. Do you worship your work or do you view your work as worship? Because what happens in here, in your heart, makes all the difference in how you take care of business out there. And you just never know how God will bless and use you when you refuse to compromise your principles. Take Eric Little, the Olympic athlete I told you about last week. One of the most famous scenes in the movies, Chariots of Fire, is when Eric Little is asked to run on a Sunday, which violated his core convictions, okay? Little felt that God wanted him to honor the Sabbath, 
by not running, by not playing sports, all right? Now, that may seem old-fashioned to you or I, but Little was convicted of that by God in his heart. And so he said very publicly, I mean, on the eve of the Olympics, I can't run on Sunday. I realize it's going to cost me a medal, but I'm not willing to do it. Now, can you, first off, can you imagine that today? A professional athlete, okay, turning down the chance to compete on a world stage in the sport that he dominates. Well, through a pretty remarkable turn of events, Little was actually put into another race at which he was a severe disadvantage because he was a short sprinter and they put him in this long thing. Uh, but it was during the week. And so he ran and he won an Olympic medal. Now, can you name any other Olympic medalist from the 1924 Olympics? No one. Why? Because of the controversy surrounding his decision, God exalted his story in a way that people today still point to Eric Little as the gold standard of competing with integrity the gold standard of glorifying God in athletic competition. That's why they made a movie about it, because it's rare in our world. Little had to forfeit a race, but he won the gold medal of integrity in God's eyes. Like Jesus asked in Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? You win the race, and yet you what? Lose your soul, your relationship with God, knowing Christ, honoring him above all else. See, Jesus is saying there's a way of doing business or competing in this world that is literally soul-sucking. You ever people hear they say, they say, oh, my job's sucking the life out of me. <laughs> Jesus is like, work can literally suck the soul, the life of God out of you, and it has nothing to do with your boss. It has nothing to do with your paycheck. You can be outwardly successful, but inside you feel hollowed out, and eventually it begins to affect those around you. See, ethics in the workplace impact everybody, especially the people of God. Well, the good news here in Malachi is by this point, the people were beginning to actually heed God's warnings. And at the beginning of the chapter, if you look there, you're going to see them. They're asking this question. They're like, God, we, we want to change. How do we get back to good? How do we draw close to you? They, they're like, what religious ritual should we perform? You know, make sacrifices, blah, blah, blah. In verse 8, Micah provides an answer. But the prophet doesn't talk about a religious ritual. Look, look what he says. What does the Lord require of us who represent Christ in the workplace? Look what he says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Let's read it together. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He's like three things. Justice, mercy, and humility. Now, I want to be very clear about this. The Bible isn't saying, hey, if you want to get to heaven, you do it by acting ethically, Okay. The question being answered is, how do you live and work in a way that pleases God? And the prophet's answer is, he's guys, like, guys, it's not about going to church. It's not about singing louder worship songs. <laughs> it's not about tithing. You please God with your attitude when you're taking care of business. It's your heart's posture to the rest of your life, to your work. Justice, mercy, humility. Now, let's just define those things because, you know, it's easy to say, well, I want to act justly at work. What does that mean? I mean, on a very simple level, what is justice? Justice is basically defined as you treat people fairly. In business, when you uh, apply and create policies that treat both the rich and the poor equally, justice just means you don't take unfair advantage of others. Now watch this. How about mercy? What's it look like to love mercy? In the Hebrew mind, mercy was seen as the twin companion of justice. Because while justice was a closed fist, justice, mercy was an open hand that actually softened the rigid demands of a strictly just society. I mean, mercy is usually shown to who? People who are in need, to the poor, to suffering. You show them mercy. 
And so there is this sense that while you're being fair to everybody, you give special consideration to those who are hurting. You actually use your power and your profits to elevate those who need help. Now, those are the biblical definitions, but I want to show you a real-life example. This is so cool. A shining example of justice and mercy in the marketplace is a business called Bridgeway Capital. It's an investment firm that's run by Christians, and they are profitable, as you're going to see. But the men who run this and the women who are executives there are motivated by a higher purpose than merely making money. Their leaders have established certain company policies that make justice and mercy a priority for every single person who works there. Bridger Capital Management is an investment management firm. We manage mutual funds, some endowment money, money for individuals, money for institutions. So we're basically in the stock picking business for people. And integrity is a huge part of who we are. I know a lot of companies say that but it's absolutely pandemic in here. I mean, it's who we are, it's what we do. We always ask ourselves in every decision what's in the best long-term interest of the current investors and try to pursue that with vigilance. In our industry, there unfortunately are a lot of people that you can't trust and uh, that's not good. So there's a definite need in our industry to have people who you can trust. We care first and foremost about our shareholders and, and taking care of them. We care about the partners here at this firm. When John started Bridgeway, he put a rule in place that no one would make more than seven times the lowest paid person in the company. It does a couple things. One is it allows you to avoid the conflicts you have inside a company is, I want that person's job, so it creates a more collaborative environment. The other thing it does is it keeps your costs low. So the other part of what John envisioned was giving 50% of the profits away to charity. I saw that associates were vying for the position to work for Bridgeway. Now, what is that about? People like working with people of integrity that are really, really serious about it. We're all partners here. Um, and we use that term instead of employees. John and I are, are in cubes. Everyone's in a cube. You can see the, the people working together. You can hear the laughter. You can feel the productivity. So we try and create like a fun, open environment um, within the office. Everybody is very willing to pitch in and um, offer whatever support they can. So it's not just, you know, your colleague. It's more like a friend type atmosphere. We want to make sure that the people that work here really truly feel loved and cared for. We did a, an exercise a few years ago and we, we asked everyone in the company, if you had 20% of your time to do something to make a difference in the world, what would you do? And then we sat out and said, let's make that happen, where we will enable a, a Bridgeway partner to take a service trip without having to take vacation and take their family members, and we cover half the cost of that. So I got to go to El Salvador with seven other partners and um, dig a water well. We've had people going into countries in Kenya. We have a partner going to China. And so it's things like that that make it a blast to, to be here. We have applied for an award called The Great Places to Work. Part of the application process was getting input from the people that work for you. Each contributed and wrote back what impact Bridgeweight had on them. Our CPA firm now does trips as an office into eastern Kentucky to help with Habitat for Humanity. Our technology firm now has a commitment to giving a percent of their profits. It's exciting to see the impact we had. So much so that we added a third point to our mission statement, which was to become a model and encourage other companies. Sometimes people ask us, we're a Christian company, and always tongue-in-cheek response is, companies don't go to heaven, people do. We happen to have the leadership team that is predominantly Christian, but not exclusively. I would hope that those that aren't would see the love of Christ in everything that we do. But we do want to allow multiple faiths to exist and, and learn from each other. 
I would hope that when partners finish their career and retire, that they look back and say, I had an organization that really allowed me to grow professionally and personally. You know, I want to look back and you know, have God say, again, the classic, well done, a good and faithful servant, that we were good stewards of the time and the people that we had. Isn't that cool? I mean, in the cutthroat world of investing, you don't typically hear about executives voluntarily, you know, choosing to limit their pay or giving away the profits to missions of mercy. The leaders of Bridgeway Capital, I think, are an excellent example of what it means to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God in the marketplace. You know, a few things jumped out at me. I mean, think about justice, right, or, or treating people fairly. The founder of the firm put a policy in place that says no one in the company can make more than seven times the lowest paid employee earns. That's from interns all the way to CEO. <laughs> that is pretty counterculture in a market, which typically, you know, those at the top divide the spoils, they strip the company, you know, and shortchange the worker bees, and then they kind of leave with a golden parachute. That takes tremendous humility to say, you know what, I started this business, but I'm not going to use it just to line my pockets. I want it to profit and bless others. We're, we're equals. We're partners. I mean, think about this. The CEO sits in a cubicle alongside everybody else. And I love that they call their staff partners. They don't call them employees because they want to create a sense of, of fairness and collaboration, right? So it's not this toxic environment that's cutthroat competition where employees are pitted against each other. I mean, how about mercy? These guys actually give their partners time off from work to go on mission trips to drill clean water wells, all right? in the third world for needy families. I like this firm, okay? Isn't that cool? This is a company with soul. They give away 50% of their profits to charity. That's unprecedented, okay? I'm not a business guy, but you guys know, that's unprecedented. Bridgeway is literally demonstrating what we learned last week. Work as worship makes blessing others its bottom line. Even though their bottom line as an investment firm is making a profit, they're like, we follow a higher profit, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a higher purpose in our day-to-day -day work. It's bringing glory to God and then blessing others in his name. And that includes shareholders and staff and those who need mercy. Now, let me just ask you a side question, by the way. If you were an investor, how would you feel about investing your money with these guys? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, right? Because they're trustworthy. See, that's the secret. Integrity is actually good for business. <laughs> Integrity actually should be a core value for every follower of Christ, regardless of the work you do. From CEO to college grad or working in a mailroom, understand, guys, integrity is so much more than like not stealing paper clips. You know, don't take the office supplies. <laughs> integrity is inspiring people by the passion and wholeness of heart with which they see you do your work and serve God. What, what, what does Micah say here? What's the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and what? Walk humbly with your God. What does walking humbly with God mean at work? Listen to me, listen. Humility is especially important for those of you with power at work, okay? If you're a boss or you're a business owner or you manage people, they report to you, it is very tempting for people to play God with their employees, all right? We have all experienced insecure leaders who think, well, I gotta flex my muscle now and then to show them who's boss. But humility at work recognizes, it means remembering that God is God and you're not, okay? God has delegated some of his authority to you for a season of your life. But you ultimately have to answer to him for how you treat your coworkers, your employees, your customers, and your competition. So if you work with people, I want you to take this to heart. Philippians 2, you'll see it in your notes there. Paul writes this, he says, 
Do nothing out of what? Out of selfish ambition. Is ambition wrong? No. What's wrong with ambition? When it's selfish or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Right? What is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, okay, at your work, elevating others. Remember, guys, Jesus Christ is always our model, always. doesn't matter what we're talking about, for our life and for our work. In fact, I want to read to you the rest of Philippians 2. This is like one of my favorite passages. I just love it. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus' approach. He says, in your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he's acting like God, he is God, (laughs) did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Of a servant. I want you to remember this. When Jesus walked in the room anywhere, he was always the most powerful person in the room. (laughs) He's not just the founder. He's the creator. What do you do when you're the person who's holding the most power in the room? Jesus says, you get down on your knees and you serve. You're not the CEO. You are the servant in chief. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient, even to death on a cross. And what did God do? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Whatever you do, whatever you work, your job primarily is to be servant in chief to those you work with, to represent Jesus. You are representing Jesus to people at your work. So you need to be sure that your attitude brings glory to God that it puts others ahead of you. And lastly, notice, Jesus got a promotion. It wasn't in this life, was it? <laughs> you have to leave it to God to elevate you at the right time. Scripture actually says God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. See, when you put God first in your work, you have no idea how he will bless you and use you to do things you couldn't possibly accomplish on your own. Whether that's a business opportunity or a strategic relationship that he blesses you with or brings into your life, or you may have to suffer something and people look at it and say, why, why did you do that? Why are you different? And it opens up an opportunity to share for the gospel. Or even if it's just the deep satisfaction that comes from knowing, man, my work is done with integrity. That's how you do work as worship. This is the soul of taking care of business, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. So here's how I want to challenge you for Monday morning, okay? Here's how we're going to do application today. I want to end by giving you a little bit of homework. Is that all right? At the bottom of the notes in your bulletin, you will see a box titled Taking Care of Business, where I listed several scripture passages that talk about ethics in the workplace. And I wanted to give you these for Bible study this week, because some of you need to drill deeper down into this topic and make this a matter of personal prayer and Bible study, or maybe it's a conversation in your life group. Because if you're at the top of the food chain at you, at where you work, How you think about this and how you live it out will influence everybody else, especially if you're a boss or a business owner. If you're in any position that impacts people, let me encourage you to open your Bible, study these verses devotionally this week. Look them up, and I want you to ask two questions. I said, ask this question. What does this teach me about how to live and work? And then second, how can I apply this as a principle for doing business or how I treat my coworkers, my employees, my customers, or the competition? 
For example, if you look at like the first one, Jeremiah 22, just look at this, because you'll be like, wait, what does this have to do with business? Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. In other words, Jeremiah is raising the issue of fair compensation. With the people who work for you say, we are paid fairly. Now, listen, I know how you would probably answer that, okay? But how would they answer that, all right? See, Bridgeway Capital applied a biblical lens to their compensation practices. So CEOs wouldn't outstrip junior workers and, you know, and rob the shareholders of profits or the needy of mercy. That's a bold move. But see, it's motivated by their biblical faith. Now, obviously, this is going to look different depending on the kind of work you do in your role, but don't blow it off because if God has called you to work with people, guys, it is in your power. It is in your power to create practices that treat people well and treat people fairly. If you're, even, if you're a homemaker, you might want to look these up and say, hey, how could this become more of a, a family policy or house rule? So this is homework for you this week. I've given you a week's worth of devotional materials here. And don't worry, whatever arena God's called you to serve in, nine to five, the Holy Spirit can be trusted to actually guide you and help you apply them if you are serious about honoring God on the job in your work. So this week, let me challenge you to do three things. Act justly, yeah? Love mercy and what? Walk humbly with your God. Open his word, open your heart, and then open Monday morning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much, Lord. You're, you're changing our heart and our mind about what we do Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. God, I pray that today would be a springboard as we go off and represent your son, Jesus Christ, in the kingdoms of this world. God, may we bring the priorities of heaven into contact with the kingdoms of earth. Father God, may people see through the excellence and the integrity of your children, Lord, this week, that we are working for a higher power. We have a higher purpose than a paycheck. And God, may we do it with the integrity and wholeness of heart that our Savior Jesus Christ demonstrated through his work on the cross. We ask that all of it would go to his glory. And everybody said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.